Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Bradley Thayer, founding member of the Committee on the Present Danger China. He sheds light on the book he co-authored titled Understanding the China Threat, how that understanding can help us determine what our next step should be in countering the Chinese regime and more. Let's dive in. Bradley, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So coming up in the news is the China's 20th Party Congress, where Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, is expected to secure a third term. So if that happens, going ahead, what should the U.S.'s priorities be in dealing with the Chinese regime? Well, U.S. priorities should first be to prepare for a far more aggressive and assertive China uh, than what we have encountered thus far. Uh, China's growth has been alarming, and that has fueled uh, an aspect of aggression in its foreign policies. After the 20th Party Congress, we should expect this to become worse. And we should expect it to be so because Xi Jinping will have his domestic house in order um, if events develop uh, on October 16th and afterward as anticipated. As you stated, he receives a third term. I think that's quite likely. But what that means is that Xi Jinping will now have established uh, his control over the party and that dissidents or elements which are opposed to him are really uh, neutered or under his control. Uh, he's, he's ensured that he's dominant. And thus, the party's control over China is as well. So since he does have his domestic situation in place, we should expect that he now has the opportunity to convert his power uh, and attention uh, in international politics against his neighbors in the South China Sea, uh, against U.S. interests in the Indo-Pacific and globally. So we should expect a far more active and belligerent uh, Xi Jinping after the 20th Party Congress. And Bradley, it thinks like a lot of this is comes comes down to understanding what the Chinese regime is and who Xi Jinping is. So on that note, you actually recently co-wrote a book coming out called Understanding the China Threat. So tell us about that book. Certainly. The book addresses two major issues. First would be to understand why China is a threat to the United States. And it is a threat because of its ideology. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party's ideology has been focused on the United States since before the uh, Chinese regime came to power in 1949, and it has since been focused on the United States in an effort to destroy U.S. U.S. interests and the ability of the United States to check uh, Chinese Communist Party. So in the work, we go through in significant detail the genesis of the Chinese Communist Party, its evolution, uh, and uh, the party under Xi Jinping uh, today. The second major component is that we look at what the U.S. should do about it. So given that the Chinese regime is under the control of this odious ideology and individual, Xi Jinping, what should the United States do to check it? And we suggest different steps uh, that the U.S. should take, including having a more robust deterrent posture in the Indo-Pacific, uh, focusing on China's human rights abuses against its own citizens as well as internationally, and also uh, looking at tearing down the Great Firewall so that Chinese citizens can access uh, the Internet 
uh, without any encumbrance from the Chinese regime. That is, uh, using uh, technologies or in cooperation with uh, the United States, the British, uh, and other actors, technologies may be employed that would allow free and fair access for Chinese citizens uh, that would allow them to access the Internet freely. Uh, and as a result of that, accelerate the demise of the Chinese uh, regime. Fundamentally, in the book, we argue that the Chinese regime is not legitimate. Uh, it's never been voted into office. Uh, its activities against the Chinese people have been atrocious, of course, in its long history. Uh, and if it stays in power, it's going to be an ever greater belligerent uh, and aggressive force with enormous complications and implications for international stability and the likelihood of conflict uh, in international politics. Bradley, on the note of the Chinese Party, Communist Party, staying in power, what does that mean for, A, the Chinese people and, B, the international world order? What it means for the Chinese people is that they are fettered uh, by this regime which abuses their uh, human rights and restricts the ability of the Ch Chinese uh, to have uh, their human rights exercised fully, to have access to information, to have political rights, civil rights, uh, as we know them uh, in, in the West. And so the Chinese uh, people have to live under this dead hand uh, of uh, the Chinese regime. So uh, the day couldn't come soon enough when, of course, China is freed from that, and the Chinese people live as the Taiwanese do, right? We have an example of in Taiwan uh, of what uh, uh, the, the Chinese people could enjoy, what they, how they could live uh, if they were freed uh, from that odious ideology. What it means for international politics is that this is a group of gangsters uh, the leaders of the Chinese Communist Party, and it means belligerence. It means aggression uh, in the East China Sea against the Japanese and against uh, Taiwan in the South China Sea, against uh, the Philippines, uh, Vietnam, and other states uh, on the uh, periphery of the South China Sea, against India, uh, Myanmar uh, as well, in South Asia, uh, control of Africa, where the Chinese regime's presence is defined by exploitation of people and the environment, wherever the Chinese uh, regime shows up, in South America and Central America as, uh, as well. So we see a belligerence uh, in terms of its ideological aggression, in terms of its military buildup and its nuclear capabilities and conventional capabilities, and that translates into aggression uh, directly against its neighbors, but also against the liberal international order, the the rules and norms that have governed international politics since 1945, when the British and the Americans uh, created them. If China were, heaven forbid, to rule the world, of course, uh, everyone who had a vested interest in that liberal international order for free trade, uh, for free finance, uh, exchange of goods, for political rights and human rights, uh, would find that the Chinese regime has a very different attitude uh, uh, towards that and would their relationship would be defined by, uh, again, exploitation and serving the interests of uh, the Chinese regime. So it, it's a future that we argue should never obtain. And there's much that the U.S. and its allies and the Chinese people uh, themselves can do to uh, prevent that outcome.
And Bradley, on the ideological front, why is the Chinese regime, you know, aiming so hard to stamp out the West, especially America? Because it knows it's illegitimate and it, it wants to destroy alternatives uh, to it. It knows that the West has provided uh, a better lifestyle, a better a political organization, economic organization, social economic organization. The West went through women's rights movements, it went through civil rights movements, right, to ensure that women can participate freely and that racial minorities or um, sexual minorities uh, in the West uh, would have uh, the uh, freedoms uh, as well. Uh, China will never go through that under the Chinese regime. Uh, and so the Chinese regime recognizes that it's illegitimate and alternatives the better future promised by the West is a direct threat to that legitimacy. And as long as the West is around and individuals encounter it around the world, the Chinese people see it, that the regime is insecure. It knows that vulnerability due to its illegitimacy can be uh, exploited. So it's fearful uh, of the West and it seeks uh, uh, to destroy it. At the same time, it also is incoherent because Chinese communism is a Western product. It was a product of Marxism through Lenin uh, and then through the Communist International into China uh, with Mao's imprint on it. That is not a traditional Han polity. It's not the traditional Chinese political organization. So it's a bit, it's very curious. It would be as if Confucianism were the dominant ideology in the West. Right. We would say Confucianism is not the way to organize our politics. It's not the ideology that we should follow. And it's at variance with Western political uh, culture and civilization. Well, that's where the Chinese communists are. Right. They have this Western ideology, uh, which is a co complete variance with Han history, with the history of China and political organization within China. So because of their illegitimacy, uh, because of their abuses and because of fundamentally of uh, their lack of popularity within uh, uh, among the Chinese people themselves, uh, they seek to destroy uh, alternatives. Now that they have the power to do so, right now that they've been growing in power decade after decade, uh, we're at a particularly dangerous time. And the 20th Party Congress is really that pivot point where we can say that uh, the history of the Chinese Communist Party was one way before the 20th Party Congress, and it's going to be another way after uh, the uh, 20th Party Congress. So it's an alarming time. And given that, Bradley, what can freedom-loving countries and individuals do then? Well, there's much to be uh, done. First, to recognize that victory is possible, uh, that the Chinese regime should be confronted. And if it's confronted, it can be defeated. Uh, and it can be defeated through ideology uh, or not through a kinetic means. We don't want it to come to conflict, obviously, kinetic conflict. But in the ideological conflict, which is something that the West should wage aggressively against the Chinese regime to convey to the world and the Chinese people that the regime is not legitimate and the Chinese people don't have to suffer under it. Um, there are so many other steps beyond recognizing that victory is possible against the regime because it's illegitimate. There are many practical measures that can be taken uh, to ensure that the um, regime uh, is undermined. One would be to support the Chinese people, 
and to support human rights within China. Religious freedoms of Falun Gong and of, of uh, the Muslim minority, of, of the Tibetan people uh, and others uh, in China to ensure that political and human rights for all Chinese people are respected, to support a free internet uh, uh, availability and accessibility to the Chinese people, to ensure that Chinese technological domination does not come to pass by monitoring what equipment you're buying, what apps you're putting on your phone, uh, what type of technology we're weaving in, into our networks, um, fighting extraterritoriality that the Chinese people have, essentially the police forces which have received elements of uh, some attention, where the Chinese have used, the Chinese regime have used uh, essentially uh, their police forces in New York and other cities, is something that absolutely has to be stopped as part of Operation Fox Hunt, or really the effort of the Chinese regime uh, to suppress dissidents uh, and uh, Chinese individuals living in the United States. That has to be stopped. Those dissidents have to be supported uh, and their stories uh, told so that the truth can come out about the um, oppressive nature of the, of the Chinese regime. So there's much that can be done on an individual basis, uh, and there's much that the West, the United States, um, countries around the world, and the Chinese people themselves can do. A united front is absolutely necessary to defeat the Chinese regime, and that's something that can coalesce. Um, finally, don't believe their lies, right? A free media is absolutely important, uh, and to be aware of efforts uh, by of, uh, of Chinese propaganda and efforts to spread that propaganda through media, their own outlets and, and other media uh, to ensure that uh, you understand the true nature of the regime and you're not fooled by their efforts to cloak it into a common destiny of mankind or an image of China which touts scientific progress uh, or which touts uh, space exploration while ma or the, the purported happiness of the Chinese people while masking the true nature of the regime uh, which is a totalitarian dictatorship. So those are all measures that could be done uh, by individuals, as well as, of course, supporting governments to take those measures to fight uh, the Chinese regime. That was Bradley Thayer, founding member of the Committee on the Present Danger China and co-author of Understanding the China Threat. After a break, we hear more from him on what steps can be taken when the economies of the two superpowers are intertwined and what we can expect in regards to Taiwan. That's coming up in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Next, we continue our coverage with Bradley Thayer, founding member of the Committee on Present Danger China and co-author of Understanding the China Threat. He sheds light on what steps can be taken when the economies of the two superpowers are intertwined and what we can expect in regards to Taiwan. Here's more. And Bradley, it seems one area that often comes up and causes issues in trying to do this is how entangled the two superpower economies are, the U.S. and China. It seems after we let in China to the World Trade Organization, instead of making China more liberal and free, the free markets have become less free. So given that entanglement, what can be done going forward? Well, to recognize and to put pressure on uh, financiers on Wall Street to stop investing in China. Uh, 
and to prevent uh, Chinese firms, Chinese entities from having access to American capital. We are, we in the West are funding the Chinese Communist Party, the People's Liberation Army, and other, the Chinese intelligence services by allowing Chinese entities to raise money on our, uh, on, in New York. Uh, that's simply outrageous and should be ended. We're also recognizing that the thrift savings plan, for example, U.S. government retirees uh, have a, 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 a participate in the thrift savings plan. The thrift savings plan, uh, through BlackRock and other entities, uh, is providing an avenue actually for U.S. government employees, including the U.S. military and, and uh, service members, uh, to actually um, invest in certain funds that would be uh, invested in Chinese entities. That's simply outrageous. That has to end immediately. So an awareness uh, by big tech, Silicon Valley, but also by Wall Street uh, of the true nature of the regime uh, compels uh, the termination of access by the Chinese regime to American finance, uh, or in London as well, to other financial uh, markets. In that way, we can prevent uh, the Chinese regime uh, from, uh, from thriving. And if China enters into or continues an economic downturn, of course, the regime loses legitimacy, and that accelerates its decline. So those are measures that can be done to recognize that, in fact, we're not interdependent. It's that the West allowed China, as you said, uh, to enter its economic ecosystem with World Trade uh, Organization. It has thrived, but it remains singularly dependent upon uh, the U.S. and New York markets in particular. If that were terminated, that would be a major blow uh, against uh, the Chinese regime, and it's a step which is overdue. Certainly. And Bradley, it seems in the recent years, the Chinese regime's aggression towards the West particularly has gone up. So how much of that was Xi Jinping's role or what role did Xi Jinping play? Well, it certainly existed before Xi came to power, but he's accelerated it. And again, as I, as I mentioned, after the 20th Party Congress uh, in mid-October, we should see that this is going to uh, accelerate. Xi is, um, the, the problem that we face with China is really the result of, of three elements. Um, and we can compare this to um, police investigating a car crash. When cops investigate a car crash, they often look at the driver. Well, the driver of the Chinese car is Xi Jinping, and he's a reckless and very dangerous driver. Um, they also look at the car. Was the car to blame? Well, the car is the Chinese Communist Party, and it's, it's a decrepit uh, and a very uh, a, a car which is dangerous to all other autos and pedestrians on the road. And finally, they look at the road conditions. Was it snowy? Was it icy? Well, of course, in international politics, due to the growth of Chinese power, we really are facing bad weather conditions and road conditions. So what do we have? We have a bad driver, a, a decrepit car, and bad road conditions. So if we look at it that way, we can see that trouble uh, with the Chinese regime is in many respects overdetermined. Before Xi Jinping, we had drivers that were a little bit more cautious. With Xi Jinping, we have uh, a driver who is uh, uh, inexperienced fundamentally, 
extremely bold and confident of his own abilities and a danger to everyone in the car as well as everyone else on the road. So what we face is a very dangerous situation. Um, and what we need to recognize is that China, the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping is a far more belligerent and malevolent force uh, than it was under its, his previous, uh, essentially, um, his predecessors. So that's the situation uh, that we face, and we should expect his belligerence to become much worse, again, after the Party Congress. We should expect aggression against Taiwan, uh, aggr continued aggression against India, other Chinese neighbors, the continued support for Putin's war in Ukraine, and now Putin is becoming increasingly dependent on Xi Jinping, uh, which is not a force for stability. That's a very bad thing uh, in international politics. And the boldness of China's aggression, whether that's through Belt and Road, continued of predatory economic policies, uh, exploitation of people, exploitation of the environment, and even the proliferation of military bases, uh, Chinese military bases uh, around the world, all are elements that we should uh, expect. It's a very dangerous time in international politics, and it's likely to become worse in the next few years because of Xi Jinping. And Bradley, speaking of Taiwan, how do you see that changing after this 20th Party Congress? What might we expect? We should expect coercive diplomacy against Taiwan will again uh, come to the fore, and come to the fore almost immediately. The coercion that we saw uh, after Nancy, Speaker, U.S. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan uh, is uh, a foretaste of what's to come in terms of efforts by the regime uh, to blockade, uh, to coerce Taiwan, uh, and we should anticipate aspects uh, of an invasion uh, against Taiwan to bring uh, the Republic of China under the control of the People's Republic uh, of China. Again, Xi, with his domestic affairs in order, is a more dangerous actor in international politics. He's determined to force Taiwan into, uh, essentially, uh, PRC's control, as he did with Hong Kong, uh, of course. He forced violating the agreement that, that the PRC had with uh, the British, with the United Kingdom. Uh, he forced Hong Kong under the control the violation of the two systems uh, 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 policy that they had worked out uh, with the British. Um, he brought that under the control, and we should expect that this is his intent uh, with Taiwan. And it may come sooner than we anticipate, not within years or not within this decade, as often is said, but almost immediately, um, uh, even uh, in 2022 and, and certainly in, in 2023. Again, just to underscore, it's a very dangerous time in international politics, uh, and it's more dangerous, of course, because he'll have his domestic affairs in order, giving him the free hand uh, to act more belligerently in international politics at a time where the Biden administration has not shown the strength that the U.S. needs to demonstrate uh, to deter a conventional invasion uh, of, uh, of Taiwan. Bradley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 
That was Bradley Thayer, founding member of the Committee on the Present Danger of China and co-author of Understanding the China Threat. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon.